0: you get the right culture, you're unstoppable. It's a differentiator every day of the week. People will take care of the issues if you take care of them first, and that only takes place if you have a good understanding of the culture that you need to build for those people around you. Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast from Uniform, the podcast that dives into real conversations and that are happening in contact centers around the world. Here you'll experience exciting interviews with well-known thought leaders, hear compelling stories from industry experts, gain fresh insights on contact center best practices and more. So grab a beverage and tune in as we get real with conversations that matter.
1: Hi, I'm Mike Aoki, speaker and trainer with Reflective Keynotes, Inc., contact center veteran and today's guest host. Randy invited me onto the podcast to host a series called Day in the Life of a Contact Center Leader, where we learn more about the human side of a contact center leader and what they go through in their usual day. And in this episode, I chat with Eric Scipio Campo, a contact center vice president with a wonderful people-focused leadership style. And in this podcast, Eric and I discuss key issues facing contact centers today, including why leaders need to defend their thinking time so they can act strategically, how an assignment sent up a new contact center site in a foreign country helped Eric grow as a person and as a leader. And how a contact center leader sets the tone regarding mental health and wellness, and how to avoid burnout yourself. Let's listen to the podcast. Hi, Eric. Thank you for joining us.
0: Hi, Mike. Great to be here.
1: Good. No, appreciate that. And and you know, I guess we'll just get started in terms of learn a bit more about your background. So, just please tell me a bit more about your background. Growing up, uh, where were you raised, and you know, where did you go to school?
0: Well, I, I'm a Canadian and I, I was born in Montreal, so I grew up in Quebec uh, for my first 13 years. So I grew up as actually as a French Canadian, didn't learn English until I was a teenager when I got to move over uh, to Toronto and to Ontario, I guess in a suburb called Mississauga. And I grew up there um, over my teenage years and uh, attended the University of Toronto for my uh, bachelor's in economics. So most of my development years as an adolescent were all mostly in Ontario, but I would go back and forth between Montreal and Toronto through the summers and spent a lot of time going back and forth because my, uh, my family lived in both locations.
1: Well, that's really neat, though, because you had to see two different you know, parts of Canada, two different cultures in a way, right? French-Canadian and English-Canadian culture. You know, how did you find that as far as how did your teenage years and your experiences, you know, like your first job in high school, things like that, how did that influence you as far as you know, shaping you as a leader?
0: A lot more than I would have thought. Uh, So, you know, looking back and reflecting on those years, I started doing a lot of odd jobs when I was pretty young. Uh, It was mostly to stay busy. I enjoyed going back and doing things like just general maintenance, uh, cleaning cars, lawns, taking care of people's uh, kids. When I was maybe a a young teenager, I really got a knack for enjoying the time with people and working with others and obviously earning a dollar is always nice. But I loved keeping busy. And so pretty much from the age of 14 all the way through to my university years, I would actually probably work two or three jobs at any given time. And so I really learned to appreciate hard work. But more than anything, I appreciated the diversity, the spice of life through doing a lot of different things. So I always stayed busy and curious by working in different types of businesses. Obviously, they were odd jobs working places like a pizza place or working in a video store when those things actually existed. I even worked uh, as a security guard for a, a big electronics company. So, did a lot of different things. Certainly made me appreciate the importance of a good education and having that backing of education to be able to support a career. But also made me appreciate um, people from all walks of life and working in these types of jobs and getting to appreciate the diversity and a lot of the things that people bring day to day to make things like a retail store work and the importance of being customer facing.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, that's really good and to have that kind of broad exposure, right, to different kinds of, as you mentioned, you know, jobs and different kinds of industries as well. Now, I know you've been focused on the contact center industry for the past, you know, Probably about 20 years of, of your life you know how do you find it in terms of being able to find the diversity of experience there because oftentimes people look at the contact center industry as being fairly insular i guess in some ways so how, do you, how did you find it as far as being able to find different experiences or exposures i mean what helped you broaden you know your mindset as far as the contact center industry and different experiences
0: well i'm really lucky because i'm part of a large financial institution which obviously counts on having a contact center as an important part of the company. But in reality, the company is not just a contact center. So I've really benefited in my sphere to be able to see different talent from all kinds of different walks of life inside the company come through the contact center. Yeah, many times it's a starting job for some. It ends up being a feeder pool for a career for a career at a company like that, Matt. But for, for other times, it's people boomeranging back or finding a way after having worked in different functions to get closer to the customer. You know, I really benefited in my career. So I spent uh, nearly 23 years at the company I'm at. The starting uh, point was in the contact center, but for almost 17 years thereafter, I spent it working in our international arm and outside of uh, direct contact with the contact center. So I came back to the contact center after many, many years. And so for me, I got the context and benefit of understanding what that's all about but also understanding what it means to apply to other parts of our business. So for a lot of people, I mean, it's a people business at the end of the day, bringing in people with different ways of thinking, not just a contact actually makes it a better place to work and a place that could innovate a lot more.
1: If you were to pick one or two highlights of your career so far, what would that be?
0: Well, like I mentioned, I had spent a lot of time, essentially all of my professional career with this one large institution, 23 years And throughout that, uh, most of it was spent in head office. Uh, So I did the early part in the front line, working with contact centers, uh, then moved into head office for a good period of time. And I realized for myself, I, I need to continuously reinvent myself. I need to find something that's unique in creating the brand and building on my brand. And so I got to a position where I was able to take on the risk, thanks to my family support. To try to get an assignment outside of our uh, outside of Canada, outside of my home country, and so probably one of the highlights that resonates the most personally and professionally for me is when I got an opportunity to move to South America to uh, Bogota, Colombia, and uh, essentially be very entrepreneurial in in a 180 plus year old organization to create something. And so it really tied in a lot of the experiences, whether it was the time that I did in customer service or whether it was the time I was in marketing or in operations, I was able to pull all of those different experiences together and combine them to be entrepreneurial and a bit of a general manager in this space. So I went down and created a campus, a new campus that would serve multiple countries uh, multiple languages and it was a first of its kind and uh, today very probably after a number of years there I was able to create the largest campus for our organization uh, in its history and now it's one of our key uh, strategic uh, priorities to be able to create these types of scalable campuses to serve our customers.
1: Okay. Well, that's amazing. You can actually grow from the ground up like that and be entrepreneurial. and Like you said, a 180-year-old company. How do those experiences, how do they help you grow as a leader? Because it sounds like great exposure and great you know, uh, learning for you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was agile and adaptable before I went, but I, I think it was a cold water, rude awakening when I got there. <laughs> and I, I think oftentimes you think you can prepare for the, the circumstance in hand. There's no such thing as perfect preparation. And so what I learned uh, to try to be over there was more nimble, more adaptable, uh, be able to leverage my intuition and my experience and my judgment more and trust in that. And I think that's really important because sometimes there's too much self-doubt uh, because there's a lot of risk in a lot of decisions. And I think mm-hmm. in a moment where I had to uh, be able to create and move at a, a good clip, I was able to trust in myself and learn a lot. I think curiosity is incredibly important in the situation of, of the unknowns to be able to ask a lot of questions and do lots of listening. So uh, whether it being to go and see other people, Folks or other participants in that business, in that marketplace, and ask the right questions. I think that was all important as a leader to be able to evolve that way. So, certainly, I'd say there's no experience in my career that I didn't become a better version of myself through that experience. But probably the one there made me not only a better version of myself professionally, but a better version of myself as a person, as an individual, because I had to adapt to a culture. I was now the foreigner going into another culture. And I wanted to uh, embrace that, and I wanted to learn from the people around me. And uh, I think for that reason, I was very fortunate to walk away having many great friendships and a very, very strong appreciation to the culture outside of my own. It's been—it was a great experience as a result of that for myself and for my family.
1: I know you've been in this role. Being with the pandemic, working from home now for some time, we'll talk a little bit about your, about the day in a life. So, sort of what that looks like? Just walk us through what, what's a typical early morning for you right now in terms of of uh, a business day.
0: Yeah, so I've actually benefited, obviously, like everybody else. We're not getting to commute uh, the long commutes anymore, unfortunately. I live in Toronto area, and uh, so I'm shaving a couple of hours. So, I've enjoyed that aspect. But I usually mm-hmm. start my day pretty early, so I, I'm up at five thirty. I'm usually at my desk at between 6 and 6.30 every day, and it gives me an opportunity at that time. Generally, most people don't want to meet at 6.30, so it gives me a great opportunity to catch up on email and, of course, to check in on the service levels from the prior day, understand how we're doing on customer satisfaction, looking at some surveys from our customers and understand what are we hearing, what are we seeing, and understand some of the key operational KPIs that we have. But beyond that, once I kind of get a status of the day, I like to frame my mind and get a bit more organized. So look at what's ahead in my day. What's in my agenda? Do I need to get anything ready and prepared? Are there meetings and certain things that I need to read up for ahead of the meeting so I can make the meeting flow better and have the right questions ready in advance? So I do a lot of that time um, during the first hour of my day and generally let's call it from 7:30-ish to maybe 8:30-ish i use it as my thinking time you know i remember a long time ago our ceo saying it worries me when i see our executives running from meeting to meeting where's all the thinking going where's the improvement in the strategy going if we're always reacting to the next meeting in our calendar that resonated a lot for me and ever since that time i've set aside the time in my day to try to think ahead and understand what do i need to read about today what article What do I want to think about in terms of problems that I might want to jot down and brainstorm myself? And so that gives me really good thinking to put all of the ideas that I want to move forward and perhaps reach out to the right people. Once I get going, call it into 8.30 time, most people now start to look for meeting space. And so generally from 8.30 to call it four, four four-ish, let's say. There's a multitude of different types of conversations that take place. I think meetings are an over, overly generic way of describing the day. But what I'd say goes into those meetings is a, really, it's a variety of different things. One is probably updates around projects, like what kind of things are coming up where we've invested a lot of human capital and or uh, dollars into, where we want to make sure we are heading down the right path and we're seeing progress. So steering committees. Uh, some meetings will be just basically updates to discuss certain things that are going on in terms of certain business challenges. Other meetings would be more generic ITBs, so uh, individual touch bases with my direct reports, coaching sessions, if you will. And in those discussions, we talk about how things are going. It's not just all about work, it's also about life. Like we have a relationship to manage. Busy days, people are running around. It's really important as a team that you build trust. And so, you spend that time with the individual and you connect and you, you understand what's going on. How, how is the world uh, ticking around them? And so working through that. And then I spend a good deal of time with the broader team. So as a leader, uh, you can't be absent, out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, more than ever, especially during the pandemic, people find that excuse all too often. And so purpose, I look for time to get injected, whether it's in team meetings whether it's in settings of other people chairing a meeting, but knowing that one of the leaders is there advocating and demonstrating the importance of that meeting, or whether it's the opportunity to be able to have mentorship discussions. So all of these things are a flavor of the types of conversations I'd hold. And I'd like to say I inject and pepper in conversations outside of our four walls of my organization. So I spoke about the importance of networking, There's probably not a week that goes by that I don't have a conversation with an external vendor, maybe bringing forward some new solutions and or talking with colleagues from other businesses or other industries where we're exchanging best practices. So that's a bit of the meeting day. And I close up in my final hour of the day, closing up with some emails, looking if there's any urgent issues, making sure I understand that we're closing off in a good note, checking our service levels again and probably calling it more or less closed at six o'clock. I try. Obviously, there is no perfect clock in the world, but that's generally probably what a day looks like uh, for me today.
1: Okay, good. Well, thank you for walking us through that you know, typical day that happens. And there's a number of things that you mentioned that I really want to kind of dig deeper on. Some really great ideas here. One of them is about your thinking time between 7.30 and 8.30 in the morning. Why is that so important to reserve that time? Because, you know, that deep process time, how does it help you as a leader?
0: It allows me not to have things fall through the cracks. I mean, a perfect example is we recognize that in the contact center space, again, people, business, things like recognition are incredibly important. Understanding what's going on in your environment and seeing somebody doing something right, but making sure you take the time to send them a personalized note, as an example, to recognize that. When else are you going to do it? Between meetings. So probably you forget. And so taking that time, that thinking time to know who you want to recognize, what do you want to highlight, what's top of mind that's keeping you up at night that you want to try to draft out a straw dog plan of how you're going to approach it. What are some of the things that people have sent you articles that are really meaningful that might make a big difference to the team that you should read and capture certain points? It's that time, I think, for me that really allows me to think about being on my offensive, not on the defensive. And so that thinking time really allows me to get ahead of the game.
1: I, I knew I mentioned spending a lot of times in meetings. What advice would you have to other leaders as far as being able to help make those meetings more productive?
0: Getting organized and probably lead, reading ahead and trying to understand what you want to get out of the meeting. People tend to focus too much on the time. My view is sometimes people are, are getting into the meetings and they end up multitasking. Uh, because they're doing email, they're half listening, they're working through the kind of conversation, and the outcomes of it are suboptimal. And so it's not necessarily about having a longer meeting. In fact, the longer it is, probably the more likely people are going to multitask. So if you can find quick hits, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, go in with a very clear objective, not trying to boil the ocean. I think trying to put too much on the agenda is always a non-starter and be able to be very clear as to if a decision needs to be taken or not. I think if you can go in with that kind of preparation, maybe sending a preparatory deck in advance of the meeting, that's really helpful as well.
1: Okay, good. Well, I love the part about preparation and being able to really help focus that meeting, you know, make it very distilled down is important. And as far as, you know, being a leader, what do you view as far as being the most important role that you take on as a leader?
0: Well, I, I'd say there's probably three things. Bringing a team together and having the sum of the parts uh, create something bigger than anybody could expect. So bringing out and unlocking value from the team, very, very important. Uh, the judgment and the decision making. So you're paid for the quality of your decisions and bringing that experience to the forefront and trying to make the right decisions is very important. And then probably, I'd say, the ability to be able to inspire people with a vision, with a roadmap, what success looks like view is very important. Those three combined pieces need to be complementary. There's not one that's more important than the other, but I think one in the absence creates a lot of issues. So I I think that leadership really comes down to be able to bring those complementary pieces together having the right people at the table to be able to help you with that.
1: We've talked about, again, lots of information, lots of challenges. And so, you know, how do you stay refreshed? I mean, you know, in terms of exercise, for instance, or meditation, and else also helps you recharge and stay refreshed, because it sounds like there's so much going on during the day. You know, how do you kind of get away from it and just regroup and recharge yourself?
0: Yes, yeah, I, I found it and I've heard from many others that it's been harder, especially now for those working from home. What is glamorous in the early days, the honeymoon quickly wears off. And I think that wonderful screen of virtual uh, connectivity through Teams or Skype or other means gets pretty tiring. It's it's pretty difficult. No more water cooler chats, uh, no more walking down the hallway to a meeting. You really have to think about how you do things differently. And so for myself, some of what I try to do is uh, pretty much on a daily basis. I try to take 20, 30 minutes of my day. Uh, during my lunchtime generally, and I try to take a walk or or do a short run. And I think that really clears my mind up. It actually hits the reset button for me altogether. So that's worked very well for me. Uh, and it it actually uh, is something that beyond COVID, I think I would would put in place because I feel like I almost come back with all those endorphins from fresh air or having a nice run. Uh, I'd recommend it to a lot of folks. I, I think mental health has to be at the center of what we do, and we place much greater emphasis than we did in the past.
1: Okay, and I agree with you totally as well about the mental health aspect and about refreshing and recharging because you want to be at your best. And I like that you're saying you do this at the midpoint of your day at lunch hour. So it gives that nice reset for the afternoon, you know, going forward. And you touched on mental health as well. I just want to ask you a follow-up question about that in terms of what are some of the things you can do as a leader to help set the tone and help your team to reinforce, you know, positive, healthy mental, you know, mental wellness, especially with all the challenges right now with COVID?
0: Yeah, you can't forget You can't forget people. Uh, You can't forget and let anything slip through. It's important as a leader to reach out and touch somebody. I hate to use a good old fashioned line from the past, but you really do more than ever now. And so staying connected, making sure you're not all business. Uh, I mean, I, I think we say that, but when it comes down to it, we see under pressure, people immediately default to that business talk, forget all of the niceties of connecting with people. I think it's important. If anything, I learned from my Latin American days, start your first five minutes connecting with the person. Get to know what's going on. Get to really connect in a way that goes beyond work. More than ever, this is a piece of advice I give to everybody. And I'd say, you know, have some of those fun discussions that go beyond. I mean, whether it's a virtual coffee and connecting, or whether it's reaching out and thanking somebody for something that they've done or sending them a nice little 30-second clip of a video to make them laugh. These are all nice tips that I think we can employ that are fairly easy. They're not time-consuming. But if you put them at the forefront of your thinking, you'll win every day of the week in terms of creating a much better environment for yourself and for the people around you.
1: Okay, good. And I love that too, about the connectedness and the, and the tips that you gave about that, because that connection is so important, especially with a work from home or hybrid environment like what you have, where people are in their living rooms or dining tables, and they are physically separate now, you know, not having the water cooler to walk by that you mentioned. It's so important to stay connected that way. And it's also important too to have those healthy boundaries. You know, you talked about, and I live in the Toronto area as well, so I can remember doing the long commute back and forth, right, in your car. But in a way, though, the drive to, you know, to work and back from work gives it that little kind of um, disconnection time, right? To be able to go and be in your car or commuting or whatever, but just having that sort of disconnect between home life and, and work life. Now that you're working from home, now that a lot of your you know, team members are working from home, I notice that you do try to close off at six o'clock. Why is that so important for you to, to have that healthy boundary and to be able to, other than emergencies and some checking in, you know, be able to kind of have that healthy boundary at six o'clock at night?
0: We all realized through COVID in particular how different people's ways of working are. Schedules. I obviously I'm an early person. I love waking up at 5 a.m., 5 30. Not everybody's like that. And so what works for my schedule may not necessarily work for somebody else that likes working until 9 or 10 p.m. at night. And so I think because of those biases, especially if you're in a leadership position, people can maybe interpret the wrong cue. What would happen uh, if I set an expectation that I send an email at 6 a.m. and somebody had to respond? but they weren't used to working until 8 or 9 a.m., what does that set in terms of boundaries and expectations of employees? So I think by doing this myself as a leader and setting the expectation to be able to kind of turn off at 6, but be reachable for emergencies, obviously, it helps people feel like they get the, the ability to do that themselves and understand that I place priority as well on my personal life and on my family life, and so should they. And so for me, I think I talk a lot about this openly. And, you know, sometimes you got to burn the midnight oil. I get that. Everybody understands the abnormality of certain schedules. But for the large part, to be able to deliver and really deliver with conviction and demonstrate that, I think that helps a lot of people feel like they have the flexibility to manage the schedule the way that they can be successful.
1: Right. And I love that you mentioned that too, about the whole role modeling aspect and having that respect for your coworkers, your colleagues time and their personal life as well. And there's, Really interesting sort of thing that happened with this. I was interviewing another leader, and they actually made the comment about they would send an email out, say, late at night. If they happened to be up, they would just send it, not even expecting anybody to respond back to like 9 or 8.30 the next morning. And they would even put in the email at the very bottom, don't even look at this. Don't even respond back until tomorrow at 9. And yet, you know, she would get an e-response back at like 1 a.m you know, because employees still felt like they had to at least show the effort or show the whatever that they're able to respond back quickly. So she learned after that, don't just save them all till 830 in the morning, then hit send, click, 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 and do them all at once. So the same thing about, you know, again, just roam on the right behavior. So I'm glad to hear you saying that, you know, to do that and, and just fun family life as well. How do you find being able to go and, and, you know, kind of, you know, end your work day at six, and again, other than exceptions and emergencies, you know, try to maintain that. Has that healthy boundary help you just as a, as a father? Because I know you have children, right? As a, as a husband, you know, and in your personal life, has it being able to turn off, you know, at six o'clock, help you grow and develop in that area?
0: Well, I, I think for me, it, it allows me to be able to, to be as good as I am with my team, with my own family. And I think without having to necessarily sacrifice one over the other, I think you get the best of both worlds and people can appreciate that. And that's reflected in your attitude. I'd like to start my day and think about a positive disposition, you know, be the best version of yourself each and every day. I think it's hard to do when you're constantly sacrificing on one side. And so leaving or calling it quits at six for the most part and being able to have a nice family dinner and or play a board game or have a nice chat or whatever, and now it's pretty much riding around in a car as opposed to going anywhere. I think that really gives you, call it mental space to, again, when you get back into the swing of things the next day, you're not reacting, but you're clear of mind. You know, my brother gave me good advice a long time ago. Don't try to force a problem, a decision in a moment of haste. Take a moment to consider it. Think through it. Think about the problem before you go to bed. A lot of the time you'll wake up the next day, refresh, and you'll have a couple of solutions in mind. I think it's a lesson to say, don't try to force productivity by gaining more hours. Sometimes you actually get the short end of the stick that way. You work for a
1: very large organization, a very old, you know, 180-year-old organization. How did you build that trust in your direct reports and in the people on your team? How did you... You know, get them to open up to you Uh, you and talk about problems early versus not staying around the quote unquote boss.
0: Firstly, on a one-to-one basis, it's getting to know people and it takes time. Trust is not built in a day. It's built over time and it's built over repetition of good actions and reinforcement. But beyond that, I think also as a leader with a broader message for the culture that you try to build, for me, it's all about repetition. You don't want to be the flavor of the day on something like trust. This is a values type of thing. You have to start and end your conversations with that model in mind. You need to speak about it regularly. You need to recognize and reward those types of behaviors for people who have raised perhaps sometimes unpopular issues and make sure that uh, people can see that it's a positive outcome. And so for me, it's a lot about making sure that that's understood from the get-go. So yesterday, I spent a couple of hours with uh, a, a couple of groups of our newest employees. I spent a fair amount of the time speaking about the importance of trust and having a voice. I think if you start from the gecko with that message and it's un- unambiguous, over time, it becomes part of the DNA.
1: Right. Okay. And it, it just takes a repetition, as you mentioned, right? And I love the fact that you did it right at the very start, you know, during the onboarding process with employees all the way through that consistency. And the fact that it's not just the sort of institutional trust, but the personal trust of getting to know somebody one-on-one and building relationships with them. So I like that aspect of both personal and institutional trust as well. And that's so important so people feel comfortable opening up to you. And I just want to ask a, a few quick questions just to sort of close off You know, what we've talked about. If there's one piece of advice you could give to a contact center leader, to your colleagues and peers, what would it be?
0: Make culture a priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a people business. Oftentimes in the contact center space, depending on what industry, we all too often focus on productivity, efficiency. Uh, driving that next second of AHT, And that's fine and dandy. And I realize it's part of understanding your business. But I think you get the right culture, you're unstoppable. It's the differentiator every day of the week. People will take care of the issues if you take care of them first. And that only takes place if you have a good understanding of the culture that you need to build for those people around you.
1: Okay, good. And just looking at culture, because I totally agree about the culture and, and people aspect of it. What's one thing that you can do to help build that culture or create that culture?
0: Well, it depends what the values that you're trying to reinforce. I mean, every culture is unique, but but let's say in, in our culture, I pride myself on curiosity being an important attribute. We're, we're trying to always be better for our customer. And so curiosity is important at all levels. And so for individuals, whether it's a manager, whether it's an advisor, whether it's the director or the VP, making sure that they're asking questions, making sure they're understanding why we're doing certain things, making sure that they have an interest in wanting to find out more about what's happening outside their own bank. And that helps really, that really helps to be able to build on the type of culture that you want. And so, by helping people understand the things that matter in the culture you're part of, helps them realize some of the actions they might be able to do to reinforce that. There are a lot of tips to being able to do this, and every leader is going to have a unique way to connect with people. But I think it's less about how you do it and more about what it is that you want to be re- repeated, what it is that you want magnified.
1: Okay, good. I really sense a deliberateness in what you're doing, that it, it's not the flavor of the month, it's that deliberateness, that consideration, that consistency, you know, the are to reinforce things. And again, look at the, you know, the people side of the business, that's crucially important. And there's also some technological aspects as well. Where do you see contact center technology progressing in the next five years?
0: Well, I think it's been progressing pretty fast uh, these years, but, uh, but I, I think it's going to be a continued theme. We've heard a lot about AI. We've heard a lot about things like virtual assistant, uh, some of the connectivity between different channels, so more of an omni-experience between email, chat, social media, voice. All of these things are are, going to continue. But as I kind of look at it, I think with some of these technologies, it's about getting ahead of the problem. So oftentimes, people call the contact centers, unfortunately, because they have an issue they have to resolve. So in, in the future, how do you use these technologies, these AI, these predictive models? How do you actually anticipate an issue before it actually is an issue? And I think that that's where the technology could really lend itself to helping people avert some of these problems and seem more as a value add to the relationship versus trying to close off and make something that was supposed to work the right, the right way the first time work all the time. And so getting ahead of a lot of issues is where I see some of the technology graduating to i also see because of covid the ability for us to have much more of that connectivity by phone and so that personalization and so with video coming about and becoming much more mainstream and accessible i see us graduating more and in blending those types of channels more into the integration of uh, contact centers going forward
1: Okay, interesting. So I guess we should polish off some of the visual aspects, right? Yeah, sure. Virtual Visual agents and things. Okay, good.
0: How do you think customer expectations will evolve in the next few years? Yeah, well, in, in my particular business, I, I'd say it's about getting value, more, more advice-based conversations. Again, getting away from more of the transactional piece and getting more into when people connect. And because people are doing more of their financial services online or through their mobile phone, the reality is they're getting less human contact. And so the ability for an institution uh, to be able to connect with those customers in those moments of truth and ensure that there's good delivery on advice, value-based advice, and so a lot of the technology in terms of interpreting what are some of the best pieces of of advice that could be uh, extended to the customer will be very important. And so I see that evolution continuing. We're seeing a lot of, in in financial services, a lot of online tools now geared towards money management, being able to interpret how to manage those things, whether it's through a portfolio manager that's now AI. I think that as you see more of that, the expectation is going to be, how do you actually continuously deliver on upside value to that relationship?
1: Okay, excellent. I love that part about added value and being able to deliver. That's so crucial. And I want to ask I know we walked through the day in the life, sort the personal side of things with the day in the life. Just sort of a longer term question because we've been, we've all been kind of, you know, with the pandemic, not traveling anywhere. When things turn around and you're able to get back in an airplane with you and your family again, what's your dream vacation? Where'd you like to go to?
0: Oof. I miss travel. So the time I spent in South America, I traveled quite a bit. So this has been a real withdrawal. I probably wouldn't mind exploring uh, a little bit more of Canada. So my kids were taken out of the Canadian uh, context for uh, a few years. Uh, It'd be nice to explore my own backyard. Sometimes we take far too much for granted where we live. And I remember when I was living in Colombia, I had um, visited more places than many more Colombians had in their own backyard. made me realize how much that's also true as a canadian in my own backyard so i'm hoping to change that for my kids
1: well that'll be good to just be a tourist in your in your own backyard yeah, exactly. you know to do that yeah and eric thank you so much for sharing this information with us and, and your personal life with us as well i really appreciate this sort of inside peek in terms of you know the day and the life of of what you do as a contact center leader so thank you for that
0: well thanks for having me here mike it's, the pleasure is all mine it's been a absolute delight to be able to talk a little bit about this and share with some colleagues across our industry. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. You have been listening to the Conversations That Matter podcast by Unifor. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player and rate and review to enable us to create relevant and valuable content for your business. If you'd like to learn more about conversational service automation, visit Unifor.com. Have a great day.